Marion Hansen is going to come and bring our reading to us from Hebrews uh, chapter 4, and then also chapter 7. Thanks, Marion. Right, our reading starts at uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, through to 5, verse 10, and then we'll be going on to chapter 7, verses 23 to 27. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 7, starting at verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Amen. Thanks very much, Marion. Morning all. It's good to see you. It'd be great if you keep that passage open. I'm going to pray again for God's help to understand it. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that you have spoken. Thank you that you continue to speak to us today through your word. Thank you that your word is living and active, and we pray that it will be so in our hearts this morning. 
And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, as we arrive at uh, chapter 5 of Hebrews this morning, hopefully you're becoming familiar with the main theme that runs through the book of Hebrews, that of the superiority of Jesus Christ. He is greater than all. And as we've seen already back in chapter 1 and 2, Jesus is greater than the angels. In chapter 3 and 4, Jesus is greater than Moses. And as we shall see this morning, Jesus is greater than any other priest or mediator who would stand between God and man. And that's why in chapter 4, verse 14, our first verse of today's reading, Jesus is referred to as the great high priest because he is superior to all who came before him. But before we think specifically about the work of Jesus and his role as our great high priest, I think it's probably helpful for us to to familiarize ourselves with our surroundings. Because many people, I think, when they when they come to the book of Hebrews and the sacrificial system itself, feel a little bit like this fella here on the screen, like a fish out of water, all this talk of, of priests in their funny gowns and, and altars and animal sacrifices, it feels so far removed from the world that we live in today. And of course, culturally it is, which is why an understanding of the Old Testament is so important when it comes to reading the New Testament, and no more so than with the book of Hebrews. And so for the next couple of minutes, I'd like to try and put the fish, if you like, back in the water. I want us to feel more comfortable in our surroundings, generally with the sacrificial system, but more specifically with the role of the high priest within that. It's worth knowing that in the Old Testament, the the, the high priest had two main functions. Firstly, representing God before the people. And secondly, representing the people before God. And the high priest actually had two main outfits that he wore corresponding to these different functions. You see, when the high priest was representing God before the people, he wore his regal gowns because he was representing a glorious God. But when the high priest was representing the people before God... He wore these simple linen garments because he was representing simple, sinful human beings coming before a holy God. And so those are the two main functions of a high priest in the Old Testament. And when we come to the book of Hebrews, the main function in view is that second one, representing the people before God. And the main place of work for the high priest, the main place where he carried out his duties was in the temple, where they offered sacrifices on behalf of the people before God. And in fact, the main question that the sacrificial system answered is this. How can a holy God dwell with sinful people? Or to put it another way, how can sinful people ever walk into the presence of a holy God and be okay? And the answer to that question is by means of sacrifice, of one life being given in the place of another. And it was the job of the high priest to carry out that sacrifice, 
and then to carry the blood of the substitute animal into the very heart of the temple, the very presence of God, and to offer that blood as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7, which is a a lovely summary of that, that role, that job description of the high priest. But only the high priest entered the inner room. That's the heart of the temple. And that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So that is the job description, if you like, of the high priest to to offer sins on behalf of the people to deal with their sin. And then in chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, we get these list of qualifications, if you like, required for that role. Have a look down with me, if you would, in chapter 5. Firstly, in verse 1, every high priest is selected from among the people. If this individual was going to represent the people, then he had to come from among the people. Secondly, again, in verse 1, they were appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. And what were those matters? Well, essentially, the the offering of, of gifts and of sacrifices to God. Thirdly, in verse 2, they were able to deal gently with those who were ignorant and going astray. A gentleness and a humility that comes from recognizing their own need for forgiveness. Can you see that in verse 3? This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of other people. And then fourthly, on the list of requirements for the role of the high priest, they had to be called by God. Do you see that in verse 4? And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. You see, this wasn't a role that people put themselves forward for. This wasn't a role that was advertised in the local Jerusalem Gazette and anyone could be, could apply. These people were divinely headhunted and then appointed to that role by God. And as we go on to read in verse 5 and 6, it was the same with Jesus. Do you see that? In the same way, verse 5, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you my son, today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You see, God appointed Jesus to the office of both king and of priest. And that's why we get that little reference there to our friend Melchizedek in verse 6, who was also appointed to the role of king and of priest. So that there on the screen, if you like, is, is the typical job description of a high priest. But you see, when it comes to the Lord Jesus, in many ways it's a similar job description, but his performance in that role as our great high priest was far superior. So come with me, if you would, now to our second reading in chapter 7, because here we find three main ways in which the work of Jesus as our great high priest was superior to any other. Firstly, verses 23 to 25, Jesus as our great high priest 
has a permanent priesthood. Can you see that? Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You could say that any other high priest appointed to that role had a temporary contract. But Jesus had a permanent one. For all eternity, Jesus as our great high priest will intercede at God's right hand, never to resign from his role, never to retire from his great work, always listening, always understanding, always ready to act on behalf of his people for their good. Jesus has a permanent priesthood. But secondly, Jesus also has a perfect priesthood. Can you see that in verse 26? Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Every other high priest appointed to that role was a sinner. And that's why they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins, as well as the sins for the people. But not so with Jesus. Jesus was without sin. He was sinless. Do you see those words in verse 26? Holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, which is why the only offering for sin Jesus made was himself for the sins of others. You see, in Jesus, we have a permanent priesthood. In Jesus, we have a perfect priesthood. And thirdly, as a result, in Jesus, we have a fully effective priesthood. Verse 27, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, And then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You see, every other high priest performed these rituals day after day after day. It was a relentless process. There was no end to the offering of sacrifice for sin because there was no end to their sin. But with Jesus... One sacrifice was enough. Why? Because the sacrifice he offered was superior to the sacrifice that they offered. They offered the blood of bulls and goats. They offered the blood of a substitute animal that the high priest carried into the presence of God. But when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, he carried his own blood into the presence of God himself as a full and perfect and final sacrifice for sin. Which is why we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Jesus died for sins, but they weren't his own. 
the righteous in the place of the unrighteous, a once for all time sacrifice to bring you and me back into the presence of God. In the words of Ken Tomes, which he's stolen from elsewhere, but he says them all the time. Hallelujah. What a savior, isn't he? In Jesus, we have a permanent priesthood that will never end. In Jesus, we have a perfect, sinless priesthood. And therefore, in Jesus Christ, we have a fully effective priesthood. Jesus has died sufficiently to deal with all our sin, past, present, and future, all laid to the account of Christ, done, dusted once for all. Because Jesus is a superior high priest. He's the great high priest. And so I hope that little review has has helped to put the fish back in the water a little bit. Hopefully you feel a little bit more comfortable now understanding the sacrificial system and particularly the role of the high priest within that. But there is a question to which I now want to turn. And the question is this. What now for Jesus in his role as our great high priest? You see, full atonement for sin has been made. That particular part of the work of the high priest is a finished work. So what is Jesus doing now as our high priest sat on that seat of authority at the right hand of God? Well, the answer to that question comes in the first part of our reading, chapter 4, verse 14 through to 16. And this is where we're going to spend our time as we draw things to a close. Let me read those verses to you again. We're thinking about the ongoing work now of our great high priest. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the hope we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. On uh, Wednesday, as I was working through this particular chapter for today, myself and Han went down with Mir and Caleb to Southampton Hospital. Uh, some of you will know that Mir's got a heart operation coming up. So we went down for the pre-op stuff uh, to look around the wards and to meet the surgeon. And it was, uh, it was a hard day. And many of you will have far more challenging things to contend with than that. But as a dad wanting to protect his daughter, I felt pretty vulnerable on that day. And a lot of you, for different reasons, will know that sense of vulnerability. In those moments, isn't it wonderful that we have a great high priest who understands? Isn't it? Have a look again at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. To sympathize, to have empathy for, 
To empathize is to understand what people are going through. It is to step into their shoes. It is to walk their road. It is to understand the difficulties and the challenges and the pain that they might be feeling. And with the Lord Jesus, he has stepped into those shoes. And he has walked far further in those shoes than we ever will. And so in those moments when you maybe feel alone and vulnerable, please remember Jesus knows how you feel. He knows. He was deserted by his best friends and given up to death on the cross. He knows that sense of of vulnerability, of, of feeling alone in those moments. Or when you feel like you've been badly treated, everything's going against you, stuff in life, you just don't deserve it. In those moments, please know this, Jesus knows how you feel. He led a totally sinless life, yet was given up to death on the cross for our sake. Or for those of you who are experiencing great physical pain, day after day you're experiencing that pain, please know Jesus knows how you feel because he went to the very limits of physical pain at the cross. And if you're sat there this morning, you just feel a bit distant maybe from the Lord. It's been a difficult time and you just feel a little bit removed from him, from your saviour. Jesus knows how you feel. He was distanced from his own father at the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or when you're asked to trust in God in difficult circumstances, Jesus knows how you feel. Because he trusted in his father as the nails were being driven into his hands. Jesus has been tried and tested and tempted beyond anything we can comprehend. Yet he was without sin. And if you're sat there this morning thinking, well, Cord, that's easy for Jesus. He's God. It wasn't easy. Because you know what? When we're tested and when we're tempted, are we caving ever so easily? It doesn't take much from Satan or for the ways of the world to sometimes lead us astray. But with Jesus, he faced the full force of everything Satan could throw at him. And not for one minute did he budge from his mission in going to the cross for our sake. And that's what I think the preacher is getting at in chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. I don't know when you read these verses and you thought to yourself, what's going on with there? Jesus being made perfect. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. When it says Jesus was made perfect, that doesn't mean Jesus was imperfect. And somehow through his sufferings, those imperfections were wiped out and he became perfect. Jesus was sinless. We've already read that. So what does it mean? Well, it means this. That through the experience, the suffering and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was perfectly fitted to that role of great high priest. Because now he understands fully. There is not one thing that he has not experienced. And therefore there is no one who is better qualified, better fitted to understand you. And your troubles and your difficulties. And not only know and understand, but to actually help you in your time of need. Because there is an abundant store of grace 
ready to be poured out on the lives of those who will come to ask for it. Verse 16. When we get who Jesus is, what he's done for us, when we understand his role now in interceding on our behalf, and he knows and he understands perfectly. Verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Not only does Jesus know our needs perfectly because he descended from heaven into our sin-broken world, but he is able to help you perfectly because he has ascended back to that seat of ultimate authority in heaven where he intercedes forever on our behalf at God's right hand. So could I ask you, when those moments have come in your life and when those moments will come in the future, to whom do you turn? Good friend? Your mum perhaps? Your husband? A pastor? It's not that these people don't understand anything. It's not that they can't help you at all. They can. They can begin to understand. They can begin to help. But they cannot understand you like Jesus can. And they cannot help you as Jesus can, which is why our role with each other is to point each other back to the Lord Jesus as our great high priest. But maybe it's not a person that you turn to at all. Maybe in those darker moments you're you're tempted to turn to other things, to drink, to pornography, a form of escapism from getting away from the challenges of this world, just trying to hide from those things, or just put the television on and watch endless hours of TV to fill that void that you're feeling in your heart. If it's any of these different ways, could I say to you this morning, we have a great high priest, and he understands. And he doesn't just understand, he is overflowing with grace, ready to pour into your life, if only we would approach him and ask for that grace. So verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Not in fearful trepidation, because our sin's been dealt with, but in confident expectation, knowing that the Lord Jesus, as our great high priest, is for us. And he is for us in a way that nobody else is. Which is why we sing, before the throne of God above. I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, and he will stand there forever, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Hallelujah. What a saviour. 
Why don't you take a moment now just to reflect on the Lord Jesus, his finished work at the cross as our great high priest and his permanent ongoing interceding work for our needs on our behalf. And then we're going to sing as we close our time together.